Hello, this is Alora Chestikoff from Firebird Summit, and welcome to the current episode of Grow or Die with me and Lawrence Henderson, taking on business, personal development, professional development, and career and leadership topics that come up and trying to see if we can have a great conversation. Each episode is released on a weekly basis, and we welcome you to join us in real time. Find the information on our site. Welcome to the conversation. All righty. Well, welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. I am Alora Chestikoff from Firebird Summit. And as usual, I got my partner Lawrence with me. Hey, Lawrence. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going, everyone? Great to be back. All righty. Well, this week we have decided to take a departure from our normal mystery box approach, fun as that always is. Um, and we are joined with a longtime friend and colleague of mine, Ms. Shana Story. Hi, Shana. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. So this week, we are obviously all dealing with some weirdness. Uh, for those not watching in real time, it is the middle of March 2020. And in addition to being on major lockdown throughout all parts of the country, uh, we have also just now seen banner headlines on all the major press that we have now entered a global recession. So in addition to the health implications, we now have to be very, very aware of the financial implications. So this week, we're going to focus on the business implications of COVID-19. So to get things started, I want to toss out the first question to Shana. And, you know, Shana works in a lot of with a lot of organizations that are dealing with it, and many of them have offices in the APEC region. So I figure we'd start with... Shana, what are what are kind of some of the lessons that your your international um, off offices have seen from their first cutting edge of this particular fund? Sure, and I may not be so close to my colleagues over in APEC, but I have been seeing quite a few reports coming out of there and lessons learned from a lot of um, a lot of HR leaders in that space. That um, it, the first and foremost lesson learned is they've gotten through it. And so they may still have some things going on. There may still be some residual effects, but the fact that um, you're seeing people kind of move through it, kind of get back to work as normal or get back to work as most normal as possible is probably the most encouraging thing. Um, the second is being patient and figuring things out. Every day things change. And I think in the States we're seeing that in the EU we're seeing that as well. And so as our colleagues went through it in um, East Asia, we're, we're starting to feel that as well. So there's also a lot of business continuity things that I think people are, are concerned about. And that's equipment and getting equipment over here. I think one of the other lessons we're seeing is just um, to be patient and be mindful of what everybody is going through and that you know things may not be as instantaneous as they had been in the past. But um, they're moving in, they're, we're, we're, we will figure it out together. And our colleagues over in China and in Japan have been saying, hey, we, we've got this. We will work through this with you. Okay. So I guess the, the first question then outside of, of international implications is kind of what, what is it that you would, uh, you would recommend for managers who are suddenly finding themselves in a situation where they're working from home, their staff is working from home, and nobody's ever had to necessarily do this before. 
so not only are there complexity about them working from home for maybe the first time, their teams working from home the first time, their colleagues working from home for the first time, they also suddenly have a spouse or a set of roommates who are working from home as well during for the first time. And a lot of people are seeing that having children at home who are also kind of working from home because they're starting to go to school online and maybe maybe they haven't had that haven't had to do that before. And so um, the first and foremost is try and find some quiet space. I think that would be the, the first thing, both mentally and physically. Um, in a small apartment in New York City, it's really hard to do that, but hopefully if you are dialing in from another area, you probably have started thinking about where to, where to connect, but I've been on calls with people this week who've been taking like video conference chats from laundry rooms in the basement. This is the only place they can find quiet space. And so the second is um, be flexible with your team. They may not have the most ideal location to call in from. And so don't pressure people to put on video because they may not be able to put on video. It's great to have that face-to-face -face communication, but it's not always possible for everybody, um, especially if you have uh, roommates or kids in the background running around. And yes, roommates do run around on occasion. Um, and I think the third is make sure you're setting really strong boundaries for yourself during the day. Um, when you work from home, and I've been doing the uh, work from home and running remote teams for more than 10 years, it's um, you are tempted to work 10, 12 hours straight with forgetting lunch, forgetting to get up, especially with a, more of a lockdown kind of view, you're not getting outside as much. You're not going out for coffee in the morning. And so creating that boundary at home, either through a designated space in your house or just making sure you're carving out time to step away and have lunch, um, have lunch with your family or have lunch with the people who are also working from home. And so those are things to just be mindful of and kind of think through as a leader to take care of yourself first. That way you can also take care of your team at the same time. Lawrence, you have a question? No, that, uh, that's actually, uh, that's huge. And I, and I love you telling people to uh, be patient. Uh, with the process and be respectful of this experience for everybody because uh, I'm married to an educator. And so for the first time, educators are trying to figure this thing out and with Google Classroom and um, her being an administrator. So how do you navigate people that were 100% of the time going into a school now being tied to a laptop for a designated amount of time to interact with kids they don't know will or will not show up based on their own yeah. connectivity issues um, and that frustration of how do we report what do reports look like and so that uh and i love alora's point of asking about you know what does headspace look like in the midst of this chaos and anxiety um and again taking into account if you have children what's happening with yeah. them and this this uprooting of this normal lifestyle but I, I love the point of just be patient, let's stay calm. And uh, I was watching uh, CNN the other day and, and the, the reporter was like, look, everyone, let's not freak out. Like our kids are used to technology. It's time for us to get used to technology and wrap our minds around what this really looks like. Um, and I would just say for you, what are some of the things that are coming up for a lot of your colleagues as far as the anxiety that's out there? I, you know, I'm going to first and foremost say I've doubled down on my own mindfulness practice. I've started working on um, a better meditation. I've started taking meditation classes that are virtual and online and free. Um, I, United Mindfulness is a great, I'm not promoting their program. I'm just saying United Mindfulness offers a really great way to learn how to meditate and be mindful and, and kind of manage your own stress. 
Mm-hmm. I think that piece is really, really important. Um, you know, some I, I journal, but that's not been what has been helpful for me this time. It's been taking a step back and taking a breath. Um, and like staying centered. There's so much bombardment of everything going on. Um, And, you know, for other people, I have friends who have started dancing at home to kind of get that stress out um, because it's giving them a place to not be at work and to think think about things and that giving their brain space time to relax, which I think when we're under stress and anxiety, um, if you don't carve it, it's not going to happen. So I think one of the things that I love about what you just said, Lawrence, also is, you know, for people who have not historically worked from home, this can be really tough. But I think everybody's kids are so used to like screen addictions. And and I'll skip my rant for why we shouldn't be letting kids get addicted to screens. But the truth is a lot of them already are. So I think for, for the kids, it's that part isn't necessarily the hard part. It's the schedule disruption. I think, you know, I've been talking to my friends who are parents and for them, that's some of the hardest pieces. Like, how do we, how do we get some normalcy from a routine perspective? Um, because that's not only important for the kids, but that's important to make sure the parents don't kill the kids because everybody starts getting cabin fever and starts getting crazy. Um, some of the things I've had some colleagues mention that they're doing with their children is getting up a little bit earlier and, and getting that routine going and then also spending quality time with their family and making family priority the first thing in the morning, not checking email, not immediately going starting the day, but sitting down, having breakfast together, almost so, um, almost so much that you get your kids get sick of you. So then they're, they get enough of mom and dad or enough of their siblings that maybe they can take a step back and then they're okay to not attach to the leg during, the, during phone calls and things like that. And I think it goes for having pets too. I mean, you get up, you walk your dog, you, you get outside at least for a few minutes. It could be beneficial to establish like having that same rhythm with your kids in the morning, getting up, walking the kids with the dog, um, making it a family event. So you get that bonding before the day kind of kind of moves into motion. And, you know, as much as this is a really stressful time, it's, um, it's giving us all an opportunity to reset some of our habits and boundaries in a way that I don't think we've ever been forced to, because right now we don't have a choice about it. And so we can make choices to do things healthy, or we can make choices to kind of continue what we've been doing and work really hard and not take that step back and not take the opportunity to bond with our family in the morning or in the afternoon or, you know, carving that time in your schedule for a break. Um, And that break, including other people, not just doing your email on the fly. So I think that is a really awesome point. Um, You know, I have a, I have a, I have a weakness for a specific topic, which is the amount of television that people consume, right? I mean, you know, Shana knows I don't have a TV in my house. I haven't had, I actually, I got rid of my cable back in 1998 um, and I have not had TV in my life since. Um, And I, and I see how um, frustrated I get when I find myself in situations, restaurants and bars are really bad airports and other ones, sometimes airplanes, where I am sort of forced into a confined space with television. And I watch kind of the anxiety level that depending on what's on, I start like sort of absorbing. Um, and I think it's a really interesting thing to watch when, when people, you know, find themselves sort of trapped and, and consuming a lot of news, especially a lot of hysterical stuff that's going on. Um, I think it's really 
I think it's fundamental. I think it's, it's something that we should all question how healthy it is and how much of it we really want. But I think especially when you're finding yourself in a confined space with other people who are also trapped in that space, you know, maybe it's a good opportunity to stop and ask, how much TV do we need to have on? Like what's actually helpful versus what starts really kind of just piling on extra anxiety because we're consuming a lot of, of more regurgitated histrionics with no new information. I mean, there's, there's, I think yeah. there's a line between what constitutes new valuable information that we want versus what's just hysterical navel gazing that we need to just shut up. Um, and I think this is a, probably a really good place to force it because a lot of times we go to the office we might have, you know, TVs on at work, depending on what kind of work environment you're in, but you, you do kind of get away from it. I think a lot of people have gotten in the habit of when they're home, the TV is on. And so when you're home working from home and the kids are home and everybody's home and you've got a house full of people, does the TV also always need to be on? And is it helpful? I mean, if it's, if it's something that's helping keep things calm, that might be one thing, but is it, is it actually ramping up or amping up the anxiety that's going on? In which case, I don't know, maybe it's time to question the value of that habit. Yeah. And Shana, you bring up a, great, a really great point about this new rule that's being, hopefully being written in everybody's household of how are we checking in with each other? And, and very from a very authentic place of uh, leaders, not just having your employees check in with you, but you checking on your employees and making sure and see how they're actually doing um, into, into your point, Alora, of is the TV on in the background? And one, some of the most powerful pictures I've seen in this time is the parents actually at the table with their kids with whiteboards and doing homework. And um, our church, people from our church have created a teacher parent support group because now mom has to actually do third grade math. <laughs> and and done they have third no grade math in a long time. That's <laughs> terrible. And so now they're like, oh my God, somebody please help. And so we have all these teachers a part of our community. And so it's this miraculous thing happening. And and my hope is that people aren't just pressing pause just to go back to those old rules. And, and, and Shane, what I, what I want from you is, what are your HR leaders who, and again, not saying it's everybody, but my interactions with most HR professionals are, they've been very transactional in the way that they go about their daily business. How are they now dealing with people not dropping in and robbing them of valuable time? Yeah, I think there's two things I wanted to, to mention. You made mention about your church building out a resource group. Um, what does it, and you as managers and leaders reaching out to your people, what does it look like if you build an employee resource group that's all struggling through the same thing? So if you have the opportunity to just build an informal network within your, um, within your remote environment or your office when you go back to a brick and mortar establishment, but what does it look like to support each other? I am sure someone else is struggling with their grade math on your team. Like you guys should like totally bond over it and, and work through the problems. And I think it allows us to take this opportunity where, you know, there's a little bit more of a blurry line between personal and work. Um, you know, what's to say that kids can't play online with each other like this? Um, you know, mom and another mom are talking to each other and maybe kids are on the same Zoom and you have a conversation. Um, you know, it's not just us who are going to be starved for social interaction. Um, the younger people are probably going to be way more starved for being around their friends and being around their peers than we are. Than we are. 
Um, the second is I am very, I've been very fortunate. Most of my roles in HR are not at all transactional and I've always worked in teams that are very strategic. Um, so I, I can't really speak to like the transactional process of being an HR journalist and kind of managing that. How do you get through that without disruption? Um, but I can speak to the fact that I'm seeing a lot of people work outside their comfort zone for a lot of different ways, whether that's they're working remote and they've never done it, or they're suddenly being asked to support a wider variety of work because um, their colleague might be out sick or, um, you know, just because the needs look a little bit different when you're at home versus when you're in the office because people aren't stopping by your desk to ask you questions. And so um, I am seeing people be flexible and have to be open-minded about what their workday looks like, but that doesn't mean you need to be, um, you know, at the beck, beck and call of every single text message you get and every single phone call you get. And I'm finding that um, people who are transactional are setting aside a time, setting aside a time throughout the day to deal with email or to like, go on do not disturb so then they can do some of the work that is transactional where they can't be interrupted by um, bombardments of phone calls and text messages and, and chats on Skype. So that actually raises another interesting, another interesting thing, right? The, the transactional nature of a lot of what we do gets us, you know, busy and distracted. <clears throat> um, you know, my, my background has been heavily in retail, travel, and hospitality, which are three industries that are kind of grinding to a halt at the moment. You know, I just found out that, um, you know, one of my largest clients is basically shutting down most of their locations because they're in shopping malls. Um, you know, one of my partners is on a project that is uh, all shopping mall based. So they're completely bringing everything to a halt as well. And I think part of the, the transactional thing that has, has kept people moving and kept giving them something to focus on while they're, you know, all the stress is, is surfacing around and kind of floating around has now come to a halt. And I think it's creating this deafening silence that's actually now really freaking people out because now we're back to, am I going to have a job when this is over? And a lot of people won't. So I think that's, that's one of those things that, you know, there's not an easy answer for that because right now it's a little bit hard to predict, right? I think the, the duration of this process will determine a lot of, of the recovery options, you know, but especially if you do work in retail or you do work in, um, you know, hospitality and travel that are enormously impacted, you know, Shane and I first worked together in the travel space. And so it's very hard to, you know, not remember what it looked like, <laughs> you know, after, after the last kind of big economic meltdowns that kind of brought travel to a halt. Um, and so retail right now, I think is the place where I'm seeing it it already surfaced the most retail, quick serve restaurants, places like that where yeah. everything's closed. I mean, you know, the Starbucks on my corner where Shane and I've had, had coffee, you know, there's everything's at first it was just grab and go. Now they're mostly shut down and you know, all the, all the chairs are stacked inside in the corner and you can come in long enough to grab your stuff and hightail it out. All the restaurants along, you know, along where I live in, in Miami, everything's closed down except the ones that can do digital ordering, run in, grab your stuff and go. And so there's a lot of people that, you know, used to work that aren't working and there are people who didn't make very much and what's going to happen at the end of this. And I think that's, that's a real fear factor. And I think managers are probably the first place to tackle that. So I don't know, Shana, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I've been thinking about this a lot. I live in New York City, like I shared, and, um, you know, a lot of New York City is built on immigrants who are not making a lot of money and who are working in the restaurant industry um, as delivery people in, in the back of the house. 
And I've been so worried about how these people are going to, you know, maintain housing and get food. So this is something that is like near and dear to my, my heart on a daily basis. I'm worried about people I know, not mythological people who are out there, but people I talk to every day. And so I, I myself, I just kind of where you, when you can and where you can support your community. Um, without your community, where we're not, we are no no stronger without each other. So where you can spend time or make sure your neighbor gets food where they may not be able to go out because they have a compromised immune system. Um, I just I wanted to, like you in the TV, Laura, for me, this is a moment of like, I, if we have a chance to be a better, better people, this is a time where we need to be better people. Not a please be better people, but more of a do one good thing a day for somebody who may not be able to do it for themselves or may be at, at a risk. Um, sorry, went on a soapbox there. Uh, it's clearly, it's something I care about. Um, I think, I don't even remember your question, Laura. <laughs> uh, well, so I think it was about, about managers, managers being kind of that front line of helping people who are worried about whether or not they're going to have a job at the end of this. Yeah. Okay. So um, we don't, none of us have a crystal ball. None of us know if we're going to be employed tomorrow. I, I think that is unfortunate situation. Um, you know, without the situation, we face it anyway every day, just because of how employment works and how unstable the economy seems to be. But um, the thing you can do is be as transparent as possible with your team. Um, bring them along for the journey. What you know, they should know. Um, unless you are sworn to secrecy about it, um, help them kind of prepare and think through different things. And um, the second is if you do know your team is kind of moving into a space where they may not have an employment option or you know for a fact that you are not going to be employed there anymore and your team is, is likely to also be in the same boat, work together to like get resumes with each other, um, resource with each other, and help support each other. Um, again, it's the community thing. We're, we're in this together. It's not a we're in this for one person and our only, and that is ourselves. Yeah, I love that, that you said that just over communication in this, yeah. this world that we live in now is, is key. And, and like you said, not only that's an awesome idea of the employee resource groups just around these now, these commonalities of, we know anxiety is happening. We know just this unknown is out in front of us, but how do we get there together? And I think managers are now being asked to have necessary conversations, not uncomfortable, not, and again, it may be uncomfortable for you, but understand the people who are leaning on you, depending on you to have these conversations. There is no more, I can wait on my director to push an email out. Well, now, no, your people are depending on you because everybody's decentralized now. You're the person that they're coming to. They're not emailing your director. They're not checking in with your director, checking in with you. Um, and I think, again, like you said, as much as you can share, share. Like, don't leave people in limbo. Um, one of the organizations I used to support in a production environment, in a manufacturing, think about that, 24-hour 24 man, 24 manufacturing environments that are now having these orders come in and you can't have more than 50 people in the plant at the same time. Like, it's like, it's blowing these like non-essential personnel. Okay. So in that production environment, who's non-essential, right? It's like, what is, what is the rotation of who comes in, when they come in and what do they come in for? Um, and I think now is the time for organizations to practice and begin to fail forward as it pertains to communicating and in, in, in getting good at something that 
let's be frank, just wasn't practiced in a lot of organizations. And so I'm thinking getting comfortable being uncomfortable is, is going to be a T-shirt um, that we need to go ahead and patent um, because that is going to be everybody's slogan uh, moving forward. Well, so, you know, and yeah. oh, sorry, go ahead, Jenna. Go, no, no, go ahead, Laura. So, you know, one of the things that, that I think is really important about what, what you just said, Lawrence, you know, we talk about working from home and, you know, for, for those of us who work on a computer all day, working from home is not, I mean, that is what it is, right? You know, but if you work in construction or you work in manufacturing or you work, you know, in any, in, and we can move out of the direct services industries that are shut, shut down at the moment, like restaurants and, 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 you know, retail establishments. But if you work in that kind of that, almost that B2B space, right, that, that very like sort of heavy industry kind of model where it's still very physically present as a job, they're like, what, that, that's a work from home option that doesn't exist there, right? To your yeah. point, right? You have a manufacturing who, okay, so who's non-essential? Now, to be fair, most manufacturers have already stripped out anybody who's non-essential anyway, because they've done that as a function of cutbacks. They've automated as much as they can. They've completely stripped that away. But then who does that leave? And how do you, you know, how do you manage that? I think the really, really important part of this is, and, and, you know, I don't want to contribute to histrionics, but this isn't going to be the last time we do this. There was a really fantastic TED talk about the nature of what causes the surf, the surfacing of this kind of, of virus. And it specifically has a lot to do with different environmental factors, us trekking into parts of the world that historically have not had human contact, about the evolution of viral, you know, of viruses that have been able to get better at jumping species. And I mean, there's so many things that when you really look at it, we have to learn how to solve for this. And this is, this is not going to be the last time we do this. This is not going to be the only time in our lifetime this happens. And, and how we respond now, while, you know, tinged with the first time nature of hysteria in that regard, is going to have to come with some lessons on how do we solve for this really when it surfaces again. It's not only um, solving from it from a, you know, mass pandemic situation, but, you know, the impact of automation and even to more workers that are computer-based, what's that going to do in the long run? So I think we have to start thinking about this not just as a, you know, one-off situation at all. It's, it's a all the time, how do we continue evolving and helping make sure people are employed and have opportunities to contribute to society. Um, and I think it's not just related to the COVID situation. It's, it's a bigger issue. Um, and I think there's a lot of people facing unemployment outside of this, uh, especially as automation comes into play. Well, and I think that's another, that's another really um, important aspect of this, right? In the U.S., we, we take a more automation first approach because labor is expensive. But, you know, one of the realities and one of the reasons that so much gets offshored to particularly Southeast Asia, sometimes Latin America, but definitely Southeast Asia, is because labor is much cheaper and they don't have to rely on automation. But that's where you have, you know, definite potential for a pandemic. So all of a sudden, it doesn't really matter what, your, what business you're in. Your supply chain has just been hit pretty hard one way or the other. There's not, there, again, we're back to this, this has to be part of how we think about how we organize businesses, how we come up with any kind of resiliency plans that we need. You know, what, what does that look like? So 
So uh, as we kind of approach a wrap up here, Shana, how about if uh, how about if you wrap us up with kind of what what it is that you have found in terms of resources that you think are are useful and places for people to continue to kind of keep an eye on? How do we how do we figure out what business is normal looks like in a world where we have to assume this is going to become somewhat normal? So um, the beauty of this downside or the silver lining of this big storm cloud is we are all going through this at the same exact time. Um, organizations are all solving for the same problem. So you have groups like Gardner and McKinsey who are publishing free available stuff all the time online, articles um, about business planning, business continuity, business resiliency. What do business continuity teams look like? How do the roles fit together? Um, I saw a great article from McKinsey last night, maybe it was the day before about that. Gardner has been publishing research around some of the work coming out of East Asia and the lessons learned. Um, and they've also put together some really great resources. There's a live webinar on Friday done by E. Cornell, um, so Cornell University, and it's about, um, it, it's really about leadership through communication. So once again, leadership, is, communication is like the thing we need to be doing. Um, and I think there's other opportunities like groups like Cornerstone who runs the learning management system. They have uh, open source courses around um, preparing for this, how to work from home for the first time, how to deal with being on conference calls for the first time, and all the way down to things about how to manage your own stress and anxiety uh, during kind of an, a very large mass situation where people are under a lot of pressure. Um, I think the other is, you know, remember to not only resource for your team, but to, I mentioned earlier, to make sure you're being mindful for yourself, whatever that looks like. A lot of us work out to manage stress, um, and not being able to go to the gym is really hard, but what does it look like for you to be able to manage stress in this environment? And how do you make sure you're role modeling that as a leader to the people that work you work with, uh, your colleagues, your peers, the team that reports to you? Because each of us as leaders has to come to the table with, with our best selves. And if we're not taking care of ourselves, we can't do that. And I know there's times where you can't take care of yourself as much as you want to, especially in high stress environments if you work in aviation or you're customer facing. But if you're not, if you're not there for yourself, you can't be there for your team, you definitely can't be there for your customer. Very good. Lawrence, any final thoughts from you? No, that was a great wrap up. No, it's uh, it was a pleasure uh, being able to have this conversation with you tonight, Shana. And thank you for having this time. And Alora, again, thank you for creating this platform for us to talk about these things. Well, unfortunately, we never seem to be short on complicated stuff that, that, <laughs> that throws a monkey wrench in our lives when we least expect it. So anyway, thank you so much, Shana and Lawrence. Um, to Shana's point, I actually do have an Eventbrite um, event that I set up for next week a couple times, actually, for introduction to managers trying to manage teams remotely. Uh, like Shana, I've been doing it for a lot longer than I thought. It was not something I ever expected to become an expert in, but hey, what do you know? It happens. So uh, you, can, you can find that on Eventbrite if you look me up. Um, otherwise, we will be back to our regularly scheduled uh, Grow or Die episodes next week, where I will get my chance to surprise Lawrence with the topic. And uh, we'll return then. In the meantime, please stay safe, sane, and do as much as you can to manage your own mental health as well as the uh, time you get with your family. So take care, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. See you later. Thank okay. you for having me. Bye, guys.
Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Tune in next week where we take on our next topic. Have a great week.